Hi, welcome to a poem prose a day, where I'll read a piece of poem or a short prose which I love, and hopefully it'll spark a thought, a prompt, a conversation, or find something within it in these few verses as we stay afloat during the stay home period together. I returned to London from Barbados to find that the city had stubbornly refused to change. I had seen azure skies and giant sea anemones. I had slept in a raffia bungalow and eaten a kingfish. I had swum beside baby turtles and read in the shade of coconut trees. But the hometown was unimpressed. It was still raining. The park was still a pond and the skies funereal. When we are in a good mood and it's sunny, it is tempting to impute a connection between what happens inside and outside of us. But the appearance of London on my return was a reminder of the indifference of the world to any of the events unfolding in the lives of its inhabitants. I felt despair to be home. I felt there could be few worse places on earth than the one I had been fated to spend my existence in. The sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he does not know how to stay quietly in his room. From 1799 to 1804, Alexander von Humboldt undertook a journey around South America, later entitling the account of what he had seen journey to the equinoctial regions of the new continent. Nine years earlier, in the spring of 1790, a 27-year-old Frenchman, Xavier de Mestre, undertook a journey around his bedroom, later entitling the account of what he had seen, Journey Around My Bedroom. Gratified by his experiences, in 1798, de Mestre undertook a second journey. This time, he traveled by night and ventured out as far as the window ledge, later entitling his account, Nocturnal Expedition Around My Bedroom. Two approaches to travel, journey to the equinoctial regions of the new continent, journey around my bedroom. The first required 10 mules, 30 pieces of luggage, four interpreters, a chronometer, a sextant, two telescopes, a barter theodolite, a barometer, a compass, a hygrometer, letters of introduction from the King of Spain and a gun. The second, a pair of pink and blue cotton pajamas. Xavier de Masque was born in 1763 in the picturesque town of Chambéry at the foot of the French Alps. He was of an intense romantic nature, was fond of reading, especially Montaigne, Pascal and Rousseau, and of paintings, especially Dutch and French domestic scenes. At the age of 23, de Masque became fascinated by aeronautics. Etienne Montgolfier had, three years before, achieved international renown by constructing a balloon that flew for eight minutes above the royal palace at Versailles, bearing as passengers a sheep called Montosiol or climbed to the sky, a duck and a rooster. Damasque and her friend fashioned a pair of giant wings out of paper and wire and planned to fly to America. They did not succeed. Two years later, Damasque secured secured himself a place in a hot air balloon and spent a few moments floating above Chambéry before the machine crashed into a pine forest. Then, in 1790, while he was living in a modest room at the top of an apartment building in Turin, Damasque pioneered a, model, a mode of travel that was to make his name room travel. Introducing Journey Around My Bedroom, Xavier's brother, the political theorist Joseph Damasque, emphasized that it was not Xavier's intention to cast aspersions on the heroic deeds of the great travelers of the past. 
Magellan had discovered a western route to the Spice Islands around the southern tip of South America. Drake had circumnavigated the globe. Anson had produced accurate sea charts of the Philippines, and Cook had confirmed the existence of a southern continent. There were no doubt remarkable men, wrote Joseph. It was just that his brother had discovered a way of traveling that might be infinitely more practical for those neither as brave nor as wealthy as they. Millions of people who before me had never dared to travel, others who had not been able to travel and still more who had not even thought of traveling will now be able to follow my, my example, explained Xavier as he prepared for his journey. The most indolent beings would have any more reason to hesitate before setting off to find pleasures that will cost them neither money nor effort. He particularly recommended room travel to the poor and to those afraid of storms, robberies and high cliffs. Unfortunately, the master's own pioneering journey, rather like his flying machine, did not fly very far. The story begins well. The master locks his door and changes into his pink and blue pajamas. Without the need for luggage, he travels to the sofa, the largest piece of furniture in the room. His journey having shaken him from his usual lethargy, he looks at it through fresh eyes and rediscovers some of its qualities. He admires the elegance of its feet and remembers the pleasant hours he has spent cradled in its cushions, dreaming of love and advancement in his career. From his sofa, the master spies his bed. Once again, from a traveler's vantage point, he learns to appreciate this complex piece of furniture. He feels grateful for the nights he has spent in it and takes pride that his sheets almost match his pajamas. I advise every man who can to get himself pink and white bed linen, he writes, for these are colors to induce calm and pleasant reveries in the fragile sleeper. But thereafter, the master may be accused of losing sight of the overall purpose of his endeavor. He becomes mired in long and wearing digressions about his dog, Rosine, his sweetheart, Jenny, and his faithful servant, Joannetti. Travelers in search of a specific report on room travel risk closing, journeying around my bedroom, feeling a little betrayed. And yet, the master's work springs from a profound and suggestive insight that the pleasure we drive from journeys is perhaps dependent more on the mindset with which we travel than on the destination we travel to. If only we could apply a traveling mindset to our own locales, we might find these places becoming no less interesting than the high mountain passes and butterfly-filled jungles of Humboldt, South America. What then is a traveling mindset? Receptivity might be said to be its chief characteristic. We approach new places with humility. We carry with us no rigid ideas about what is interesting. We irritate locals because we stand on traffic islands and in narrow streets and admire what they take to be strange, small details. We risk getting run over because we are intrigued by the roof of a government building or an inscription on a wall. We find a supermarket or hairdressers unusually fascinating. We dwell at length on the layout of a menu or the clothes of the presenters on the evening news. We are alive to the layers of history beneath the present and take notes and photographs. Home, on the other hand, finds us more settled in our expectations. We feel assured that we have discovered everything interesting about a neighborhood, primarily by virtue of having lived there for a long time. It seems inconceivable that there could be anything new to find in a place which we have been living in for a decade or more. We have become habituated and therefore blind. The master tried to shake us from our passivity. 
In his second volume of Room Travel, Nocturnal Expedition Around My Bedroom, he went to his window and looked up at the night sky. Its beauty made him frustrated that such ordinary scenes were not more generally appreciated. How few people are right now taking delight in this sublime spectacle which the sky lays on uselessly for dozing humanity. What would it cost those who are out for a walk or crowding out of the theatre to look up for a moment and admire the brilliant constellations which gleam above their heads? The reason they weren't looking was that they had never done so before. They had fallen into the habit of considering their universe to be boring, and it had duly fallen into line with their expectations.